where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Any children who would like to join Pam uh, out in Fireside for a story are welcome to go with her now. I see there are a few in the nursery, so somebody may peek in and make sure that they hear. We'll just test the speaker system and see if they can hear me giving instructions. <laughs> we have another story for us this morning that comes from the Gospel of John. And it comes from the 12th chapter. And it's also a bit of a cautionary tale. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet, and then she wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? If that had been done, the money could have been given to the poor. He said this not because he was caring about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse, and he used to steal what he put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is one of those stories that can fill our senses. You might have smelled the perfume or wondered about the feeling of hair rubbing feet. And maybe underneath that fragrance of perfume, knowing that they had just finished dinner, there was kind of the lingering smell of bread. You might have noticed a memory of what grapes taste like in juice. And maybe as the story went on, you even heard the clink of coins, felt the weight in your hand, the way that somebody might play with a coin purse, making sure that everything is still there. But there's also a fair amount of secondhand embarrassment going on in this story when we hear Mary washing Jesus' feet with her hair. It was not any more common then than it is today. So we do not have to stretch very far to imagine how over the top this was. For Mary in that moment, there is no sense of propriety. 
There is no sense of holding back for fear of what others might think. There is just overflowing emotion. And if you pick up on emotions that way, then you might have felt that too, the same way that you might have felt the fragrance of the oil that was so strong that it filled the whole house. That reference to this heady smell of an expensive oil is even more poignant when we consider that not too long ago the house was filled with the smell of sickness. In the Gospel of John, he alludes to the story that comes right before, that Mary's anointing of Jesus comes just a few days, perhaps, after Jesus had raised Mary's brother Lazarus from the dead. And if we'd read that story completely this morning, we would have heard how Mary and Martha had sent a messenger to Jesus when Lazarus got sick when things looked desperate. They begged Jesus to come. But he took his time, and so when he finally arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. When Jesus grieves and then gathers himself, he tells them to open the tomb. And Martha, who is the sister of Mary and Lazarus, very practically points out the flaw in the plan. He will smell. The King James Bible puts it, Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) This is a family of practicalities. And yet, here is Mary, not too much later, filling the house with the fragrance of generosity even knowing that death is once again at their door. You maybe heard it at the end there, that by this time the authorities are plotting. And they aren't just plotting against Jesus, but against Lazarus as well, who is now this living, breathing sign of Jesus' power. And it means that Mary's actions are actions of love, certainly, but they are also actions of solidarity. Unlike Judas or Peter or others who will later distance themselves from Jesus, Mary leans in in a public way. She is there for this. There are two life philosophies that are sort of pitted against each other in this story. In the first approach, we control everything we can. We tighten our grasp. Sometimes, literally, as I imagine, Judas tightens his grasp on the common purse. Clink, clink, clink. But he's not the only one here, because the Romans are also tightening their grasp. In the face of Jesus' growing power and popularity, this man who works miracles and people follow him and he dares to bring people back to life, they're getting antsy. Every bit of praise given to Jesus is praise that is not given to them. For them it is a zero-sum game and they cannot imagine 
an alternative way of thinking. The second approach is Mary's approach, and in that approach we give everything we have. We pour it out, trusting that God's love will be more than enough to go around. This passage often raises some thorny questions about stewardship, about excess, about acts of piety. And there's a lot to ponder there. There's a lot going on in just a few short lines. This is the only gospel that explains that Jesus' response to Judas was because he knew that Judas was a thief. In the others, the question lingers. Why would you spend so much money on this act when you could have given it to the poor? And Jesus' response to them, you will always have the poor, can hit a little cynically. It helps a bit to know that Jesus may have been quoting from Deuteronomy. The full line there is, since there will never cease to be some in need, I command you, open your hand to the poor and the needy and the neighbor. If Jesus was indeed calling Judas back to that teaching, his response sounds a little less cynical. It's not quite so helpless or hopeless or a throw-your-hands-up-in-the-air evaluation of the state of the world. It's a reminder to keep giving. But it surprises us in another way. Because through that lens, Jesus' reply isn't cynicism. It's that in that moment, he puts himself on par with the poor and the needy. And we don't often think of Jesus needing these acts of luxury. We think his strength comes from somewhere so deep inside that he is not relying on the people around him. And maybe it even bothers us that Jesus claims some of this generosity for himself, this comfort, this affection. But we who know the rest of the story might also wonder, how much did this act matter to him in the difficult days to come? Where did he draw the strength? What saw him through in the time of grief? All of us face these hard times when we think we cannot go on any longer. And maybe it's not as dramatic as Jesus at that supper with his friends, but sometimes it is. And what gets us through in those moments isn't the cold practicality of Judas. It's the gesture of love from a friend. Mary's insight here isn't only that she loved Jesus, though it is that her action was immediate. She saw a need, and she did something about it. And so maybe this story reminds us, too, that sometimes when the grief of the world is so big, and there are so many 
pressing problems. We might resist the temptation to get bogged down in decision paralysis. You've been there, maybe, trying to decide who to give money to, who to volunteer with, who to help. And if you stay stuck in that place and you're weighing out, but this goes against here, and if we do this, we can't help them, nothing gets done, does it? Mary prioritizes the moment. She embraces what is happening there and then, and the person who needs her. As the saying goes, she does the next right thing. And she trusts that others will do their part too, which I think is another way of trusting in God's abundance. In a moment, we will turn to communion. And we will hear again this story of Jesus's great love, which will be acted out and ritualized in the breaking of the bread. We'll remember how he said goodbye to his friends. But when we do, keep in mind this story as well. Because what is clear every time that we hold the tension between life and death, between celebration and grief, is that time is short, and we do not know what it will bring. But Mary reminds us that we have this moment, and in it, we can choose love. 